the value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. The world's economies and markets have been subjected in the last couple of years, plus a little bit, to an almost tyrannical tirade of negative influences that have shaken investors to their core. These influences have spared none, but one country, seemingly not content with common global problems, has, it can be argued, created its own unique problems and shot itself in the foot, the country concerned is Britain. With me now is Russell Silverstone, speaking to us from Britain, from 91 in London. He's an investment strategist at that institution. It's been a torrid time, Russell. What's your general assessment before we get into the semantics? It certainly has, Lindsay. And I think what markets are grappling with is a sort of a loss of the credibility of the sort of monetary and fiscal institutions in the UK. And that is obviously a huge deal. It really is a huge deal. And I saw a presenter on a business television programme this morning and she said, uh, she was from the UK, speaking from the UK, she used the word embarrassing. She said it was a real, it, it really does not engender any confidence in the current government and the current chancellor. And the word embarrassing made me embarrassed as a Briton. And to be honest, I've heard people express similar sentiments around, around the office today. It really is because we're, you know, you don't want to use the phrase laughing stock, but when, when you end up with a situation where, you know, both the IMF and the US Treasury are, are criticising the, uh, the the authorities here, then, uh, you know, you, you, you know it's pretty serious. So, yeah, it, it absolutely is embarrassing. Yes, it started with Brexit, of course, and, and that's causing problems. But the new Chancellor's extraordinary so-called mini-budget, which has recently been unveiled, was something that, to me, was even more dramatic than Brexit. Indeed. I mean, uh, you know, Brexit, obviously, you know, well, the, the, the vote was back in 2016. So, you know, I think we've all sort of got used to the, the consequences of it. But this was, I think there's a couple of things that happened on Friday. Not not so much that, the, you know, he, they were going to announce sort of tax cuts, that, that that had clearly been touted in the hustings before Prime Minister Liz Truss was, was, was elected. But it's the fact that, one, the sort of the giveaway, in inverted commas, was, was far bigger than people expected. And two, it was very much, you know, aimed at higher taxpayers. So those earning £150,000 got a tax cut. And the third thing was it was was done in a cynical way. It wasn't called a budget. It was called a fiscal event. And that meant the, the independent office of budget responsibility, so the fiscal watchdog here in the UK, wasn't required to, 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 to assess it independently. And therefore, we had um, sort of unfunded tax cuts with no sort of independent oversight. And the government bond market just absolutely collapsed such that bordering on financial instability, in fact, the currency um, also went the same way. And no surprise, therefore, the interest rate expectations just spiraled through the roof. And all of this came on, this was last Friday, and of course last Thursday, as, as was you and I discussed, the Bank of England, whilst they raised rates, they sort of, you know, it was a placeholder decision waiting for more details of, of the then impending fiscal event before they did something more aggressive. And of course now they're going to get bounced into doing something even more aggressive. So, yeah, we've, we've, we've had an incredibly torrid time over, over the last few days, but all comes back, the root of all of it is, is essentially... Not cynical, but sort of, yeah, no, I'll use the word cynical, sort of tax cuts that sort of bypass the usual checks and balances that we, we have in this country. Well, it's very interesting that you say cynical, and it's very interesting the way that it, you've described it so beautifully, that it was a change of name which allowed certain things to go through, because it's almost like 
a certain country calling a war a special military operation. So it's the same type of cynicism, I would say, but in a, in a different form, obviously. Let's go to the IMF now, the International Monetary Fund. And this is an astonishing attack. Uh, I'm reading from the FT now. It says the IMF has launched a biting attack on the UK's plan to implement £45 billion worth of debt funded tax cuts, urging the government to re-evaluate the plan and warning that the untargeted package threatens to stoke soaring inflation. The multilateral lender said it was closely monitoring developments in the UK and was engaged with the authorities after Chancellor Kwasi Karteng unveiled the tax cuts last week, sparking a collapse in the value of sterling and a surge in the country's borrowing costs. And then, never mind inflation, but there was also a warning that will stoke even more inequality in the country. We've seen these crises before, and one of the most notable crises linked to the currency was when a certain well-known investor attacked the pound, and the pound fell dramatically, and then the, the Bank of England in those days overnight ramped up rates by some extraordinary amount. And I can't remember, but you will, because you're, you're cleverer than I am. But we've seen this before, haven't we, Russell? Yeah, no, we have. I was there. Literally, literally I, was, uh, I was involved in the money markets on, on that fateful day in 1992. It, it was different in that they were trying to defend a pegged exchange rate. And, you know, as we've seen, I mean, around the world, I think, since that time in 1992, exchange rates that are pegged, at, that, that are levels that are not appropriate, you know, ultimately break. That's what Mr. Soros spotted. And, yeah, the Bank of England were forced to defend sterling, burnt through, you know, an awful lot of the country's re reserves. They, um, they, I can't remember the numbers, but they increased bank rate by 5% in one day. But by the end of the day, the whole policy was in tatters and, and the sort of economic credibility of the government had collapsed. And, and so, yeah, there's definitely echoes to this now. I mean, the things I take away from, from that, and, and hopefully, you know, it's an encouraging takeaway, is that whilst economic credibility collapse we did actually it, you know the government were forced into something that was was better um, and you know ultimately we ended up in a situation where the chancellor and bank of england would sit down on a regular basis and discuss the economy and decide on interest rates and ultimately bank of england independence but yeah it's 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 a very very similar episode in, in terms of you know the market questioning the, the the credibility yeah we saw the pound between friday and monday friday after the so-called mini budget to monday morning when i think the cable the british pound against the US dollar went to 103.30, if my mind serves me correctly. That was a 7% fall. But in 1992, it was more dramatic. But on the other hand, it's very similar because there's all sorts of talk now of, number one, there's going to be a U-turn by the new chancellor. Uh, but secondly, there is talk of an emergency rate hike, just like in 1992. Obviously not 5%, yep. but maybe 75 basis points or 1%. Do you think that might happen? Yep. Yeah. So addressing both those points, I mean, this is ideological, the tax cuts. You know, the, the belief is that the sort of by cutting taxes, ultimately, uh, you know, the aim is to, is to boost sort of growth in the UK. And, 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 you know, we I guess if you want to talk about it in the round, there, there are incentives in the sort of mini budget to, to, to try and get sort of uh, get growth up. The, the, the aim is cut taxes, get growth up to two and a half percent. And actually that you know, that generates more tax revenues and therefore the deficit sorts itself out. I think the real, the real issue is it's completely the wrong time to do it. You know, you don't do that when inflation is 10%. 
you know, you just the wrong time to do it. And so now there's certainly chatter in, in the markets that, you know, that there's an awful lot of stress at the heart of government over this and backbenchers get, getting twitchy. And you know, if you look at middle market sort of newspapers here in the UK, I think they're a great barometer of the way, you know, the political fortunes have changed. So on, on Friday, you know, the two sort of mid-market tabloids were, you know, at last the Tory budget, you know, proper Tory budget, and, and, and Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, they were, you know, housing market on the brink of collapse, <laughs> uh, which just shows you how it's turned around. With, res- with respect to the Bank of England, I think that episode in 1992 absolutely haunts the bank. And so they're pushing back very strongly about an intermeeting cut. And the point about this that I, I, I actually agree with, although I think we certainly have a debate here, here about it, is, is that, you know, trying to placate markets through emergency rate hikes is, 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 is one thing. But, you know, this has real world consequences as well. And, and the bank want to try and, you know, think about what the consequences are and come back at their next scheduled meeting early in November and say, right, you know, we've crunched all of our numbers. You know, we've had this tax cap. And of course, we've had the energy price cap as well, which means, you know, we, we, the, the growth outlook is less dire than it was. And therefore, we need to recalibrate policy. So I think at the moment, that's their plan. And, you know, all things being equal, with far more money in the pot, their growth forecast will be revised higher and they will raise rates more aggressively than they would have otherwise. But I think I think they wait till November for that decision. But it's an incredibly fast moving market. You you may or may not have seen it over lunchtime. They've, they've, they've actually stepped into the... Uh, guilt markets of the UK government bond market yes. to try and support it because what's been happening, the sell-off has been so severe that pension funds who who typically are, are, are those that in, invest in longer dated government bonds, which makes sense, there are potentially issues with their solvency because any sort of derivative based on, on a government bond, the sort of money you need to put down to utilise that derivative had been squeezed higher. It's called a margin call. And those margin calls were forcing them to, to sell assets to meet their margin calls. If they didn't meet those margin calls, they're, they're insolvent. So we've had a financial stability sort of real crisis and they stepped in bizarrely this late morning lunchtime to say, we will over the next two weeks buy government bonds and, and, and put on hold our decision to, to sell them. So we, we're essentially, we're doing QE again before... So it is a U-turn, in other words. It's a Chancellor of the Exchequer, it's, it's, Treasury it's, U-turn. The Treasury haven't haven't U-turned. Well, they have, I'll come back to that in, in a minor way. This is the Bank of England. They are saying mm. there is a serious financial stability risk in the UK market, and we will step in and we will buy the government bonds to support the market. And ultimately, we will unwind that again. And what's fascinating is that the 30-year bond here in the UK, the yield today is down 1%. I mean, these, you know, 1% doesn't sound like much, but, you know, when the yield at the moment is just under 4%, you know, that's a 25% fall in yield. Um, and actually, the yields now are back to where they were on the day of the mini budget. So, so we've completely reversed that, which is, you know, bordering on madness in terms of volatility. But it's it's a stopgap, right? It, you know they've been forced into doing this because the, the the government, in their wisdom, decided to announce unfunded tax cuts at, at a time when you know government finances are already under pressure. So it's it's a mess. Where the, it is where a mess. And just before you go on, my, you, you mentioned the, yeah. the phrase stopgap just then. And I remember, I think it was the 1980s or maybe it was the early 1990s. But anyway, Paul Folker, when he was chairman of the US Federal Reserve, 
No, it was the 1980s. He intervened in the currency markets periodically, and then hedge fund managers and investors would stand back when they saw the announcement and say, OK, you do what you want to do, and we know you're going to stop, and then we're going to get, attack it again. And it seems to me that maybe the markets are going to do the same thing, licking their lips, these hedge fund managers. Yeah. Perhaps that's just me again, not 91 talking here. Yeah, no, it's really hard to know. I think, to be honest, the lo- well, the long end of the bond market in the UK is, is, is I, I would call it the niche market. You know, there are only a limited number of buyers. They're all typically sort of pension funds. I mean, to put it into context, since the global financial crisis, the net issuance in the UK, somewhere in the region of 60% has been bought by the Bank of England and 30% by overseas investors. And, you know, therefore, domestic investors haven't actually done much. So, it's really hard to know what goes on at the long end of, of as we call it, the long end of the, of the UK guild curve. On the currency, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think intervention is very unlikely, personally. And in fact, the Bank of Japan, I believe it was last week, did. Well, in fact, sorry, the Ministry of Finance in Japan, not the Bank of Japan. It's just to, to, to aid price discovery. So, you know, we'll buy a little bit. And just to remind the market, this isn't a one-way bet. And I would be very surprised whether we saw that from the Bank of England, because one, you know, we don't have huge amounts of reserves, unlike the Bank of Japan, for example. And of course, you know, the experience, the historic experience from 1992 is you start going down that road and the market just takes you on. So I think it's a very high bar to, to see in that, Lindsay. Uh, I really do. But but it's undoubtedly it's political. You know, there's already mutterings from backbench MPs. If we if we get to parity with the with the dollar, then then they're going to call it a vote, a vote in our confidence in the new administration. So. Goodness. I mean, that's a quick one, isn't it? I think it'll be a record, actually, very deep. What I will say is that in a perverse way, but perhaps this will bring inflation down, because if, for example, mortgage rates go up to 6% in the United Kingdom and you've got a £200,000 mortgage, your costs per month are going to go up by £600. Now, who can afford that at the moment with inflation at 10% for a basket of goods and services and also energy prices and everything else going through the roof? They've tripled over the last year or so. So in a way, it could collapse demand, cause a recession, inflation comes down and everything can then settle down, but it'll take years to do so. Again, that's my sort of personal on the back of a matchbox analysis. No, I think, you know, the fact that the market, I mean, earlier today, the market was discounting bank rate getting to 6% by next summer. I'm just going to update this for you yeah. um, as as we're talking. That's down to 580 now. But, you know, add 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 on 1.5% to that and, and, you know, you're at 7% mortgage rates. Now, the, the issue with this is that in terms of mortgage affordability, there's two metrics to mortgage affordability. One is, is price to earnings ratio, i.e. house prices to how much you earn. That's historically high. So for a first-time buyer, at the end of the second quarter uh, of this year, that was at six times earnings. Never been higher. Where it had been close to the long-run average was was what those mortgage payments are as a percent of take-home pay. So you know because mortgage rates were so low, you know people could afford to borrow quite a lot of money. And, and in the, yes, they're fixed, but there's a general sort of rolling off of, of maturing mortgages and they're in for a massive shock. You know, in the, the two episodes that crashed the UK housing, Q307 and Q389, mortgage payments percent of total pay were over around about 45, 50 percent. Currently, we're at sort of 35 percent. So, you know, another substantial increase in mortgage costs is, is going to put housing affordability at, at incredibly stretched levels. So, yeah, it, in, in my humble view, the UK economy will not be able to withstand bank rate of close to 6%. 
especially when you think the underlying growth rate in in, in our economy is somewhere between one to one and a half percent, even post 2000, so well before Brexit, the the average rate has been a shade below two percent. It's just too tight. So so you know. It is self-corrective. You know, you see that and that the, the much slower growth, maybe recession then undermines pricing and, and, and so inflation falls back. But yeah, it could get it could get very messy. Yes, it could do. I like the way you say self-correcting because obviously markets do correct as they did in 1992. Do you think there's going to be a 1992 scenario that you described earlier on and the market, things will change and things will get better? Or do you think we've got worse to come? And then the second part of this question is, what on earth are you doing with your team at 91, given what the extraordinary events since Friday? First of all, will it correct like 1992 did? The, the currency, you mean specifically? or, or Well, currencies, um, gilts, just, just, the economy, yeah, the, yeah. The, never mind politics. So that's, that's a whole other yeah. podcast. But the currency, I yeah. suppose, specifically. I think we're incredibly cautious on it. You know, we are in the midst of a crisis. We've got here through fiscal policy that's ideological and credibility is under pressure. If the Bank of England hold the line till November and then they tighten monetary policy, put up interest rates by enough to sort of subdue some of the, the, the worst pressure, then then hopefully we can hold the line. But you know, I think we're incredibly cautious. And I'll be I'll be honest, I think there's a range of views. Uh, it's so fast moving. I, th- I think there's a range of views. But if, if you looked at it very simply, you know, sterling should be cheap, but the fundamentals are, are absolutely appalling at the moment. And we sense, you know, positioning is mixed. So, it, you know, it comes out sort of neutral, but, but we're, in, we're incredibly cautious. What, what does that mean, what we're doing? I mean, we had our asset allocation meeting uh, within the multi-asset team this morning, and, and, and we're very cautious, I think, on, on, on those assets um, correlated to growth. Why is that? You know, this is, this, I think, you know, slow UK growth, slow European growth, you know, continued COVID restrictions in China just make us very, very cautious on the outlook. At the same time, the monetary policy is not only tightening, but it's, it's going to restrictive levels. And therefore, we are incredibly cautious, I think, on the outlook at the moment. And so, you know, uh, I've sort of poured our horns in. But that, that's a, a view I think we've had for, for a good sort of three to six months now. Yes. Um, and and I, I just think it's been validated. Yes, it has been. Very good luck, Russell. Thank you so much for your excellent analysis. That's Russell Silverstone, investment strategist at 91. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.